presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with director of NASA's Langley Research Center, Clayton Turner, for a conversation on filling the world with eye cans. Up first is Corning Incorporated's manager of technical talent pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Clayton Turner. As director, Turner leads a diverse group of civil servant and contractor scientists, researchers, engineers, and support staff who work to make revolutionary improvements to aviation, expand understanding of Earth's atmosphere, develop new technologies for space exploration, and contribute to NASA's broader exploration mission. Through his career, Turner has worked on many projects for the agency, including Earth Observing Technology Development, Materials Technology Development, and the Space Shuttle Program Return to Flight, just to name a few. Clayton has received many prestigious awards, such as the Presidential Rank Award, the NASA Outstanding Leadership Medal, and the NASA Exceptional Engineering Achievement Medal. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much for that great introduction as always, Brandon, and welcome everybody to uh, today's episode of High Tech Sunday. I'm telling you, we are in for a great discussion today as we welcome Mr. Clayton Turner to uh, the stage, and uh, we're going to talk about something that everybody certainly ought to be excited about, filling the world with ICANs. And so right off the bat, we want to welcome you. Uh, Mr. Turner, how are you? I'm doing fine and really do appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. And so anytime we uh, see those four letters, N-A-S-A, um, I don't know about everybody else, but I get excited because NASA is such an iconic uh, organization uh, in the, the world, and especially for those of us who are STEM advocates and, and STEM uh, STEMstigators, I'll call us. Uh, and so thinking right off the bat about uh, your career, with NASA and you being the director of Langley. Can you talk to us, Jessa, a little bit about how did you wind up there? How did you choose your career path? Yeah, I'd love to be able to tell you that I thought about it as a youngster and planned it meticulously that I would be at this place at this point in time, but none of that would be true. So, <laughs> uh, so, uh, after I graduated from high school, uh, I went to college uh, right away, traditional path, and I didn't do so well because I went to college to study a, a degree field that all my friends were doing. So after one semester, I actually went into the Army, uh, and I spent uh, three years in the Army. And after that, when I got out of the Army, I worked on repairing pinball machines and video games. This was in a time when they were all in college campuses or bars, and you put a quarter in and you played your game. And then I, I started working in a recording studio. And it was a small studio in Rochester, New York, Dynamic Recording Studio. And, and, and I, I take you down this path because it was in those positions, unbeknownst to me, where I learned the skills and techniques for this job, unbeknownst to me. 
So while I was working in a recording studio, I had the opportunity to go back to college. And when I say the opportunity, I was in Rochester, New York, about mid-January, in the middle of a blizzard, tying a pinball machine on the back of a pickup truck. And if you've never been in a blizzard in Rochester, New York, the snow gets real fine. It's like sandpaper, and it's very, very cold. So in my mind, I can do something better. So I ended up going back to school. So needless to say, I was much more motivated and did much better. So when it was time to graduate, I was interviewing at a number of places. And uh, I had taken a day off on my birthday, and I received a call. And it was from a gentleman asking me to come down for an interview at NASA. So I said, sure, NASA never crossed my mind because I, like everybody else, would think, NASA, that's where other people work, right? <laughs> Whoever they are, right? Those very special people. But what struck me is that the person called on my birthday, literally in sight of the place I was born. I was born on Langley Air Force Base, which butts right up against Langley Research Center, NASA. So I said, sure, I'll come down for an interview. Did the traditional interview and went on a tour. And I saw the folks, they were doing an environmental test. So they had an instrument in an environmental chamber, a giant eight foot by 15 foot chamber. And they were stressing it with temperature extremes. The excitement and energy on their faces because their baby was about to go fly. Now this is about a 10 to 15 day process but they were excited. I was done right there. I want to be there. So that got me to NASA. And in my mind, I was going to be an engineer, you know, put me in the lab, put me out in the field, slide the pizza under the door. But I had mentors and supporters <laughs> that guided me, try this, do this, try this. And, and that's what put me in this path. At no point did I decide I want to be center director. Now, my image of an engineer was white shirt and a tie. So that's how I dressed every day. And they would tease me, you'll be center director. And we would laugh and chuckle. But I would say that there was quite the support network. And if, if, if you'll indulge me just a bit more, all during that path, all those other jobs, I had no idea they were preparing me for this job. So there was a path, all the challenges of not being successful in college, working out in the cold and the snow and being called at 3 a.m. in the morning to go fix a machine, personal loss in my life at the time that sent me back to college. Those challenges were preparing me for success and opportunity, right? I should say opportunity. We have to work on a success. So the path was there for me. I just couldn't see it at the time. Wow. And, and so you, 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 you've said so much, and there's so many headlines that I uh, reflected upon as you were speaking. First, let me let you know that I, too, uh, am from upstate New York, or I am from upstate New York. You, you were a transplant, and I actually went to RIT as an undergrad, uh, and okay. so I'm very, very familiar with what happens uh, in this neck of the woods at this time of year. Uh, and, and you described it perfectly well. That would inspire many a folk to, <laughs> to do something other than be out in the blizzard uh, yes. having to work. But, but you went from being a, a pinball SME to working in a recording studio. And you said that those experiences uh, prepared you for what would come next, even though you didn't know it. Were there some um, particular skills or traits, behaviors, best practices that you gained while you were doing those jobs? Absolutely. So, so in the Army, I learned 
what servant leadership was. I saw good and poor examples, even though I was there for a short time. And I saw some stellar examples of leadership and they made an impression on me again, not knowing at the time. Working on the pinball machines and video games and, and jukeboxes, finding solutions, you know, asking that next question, digging a little deeper. Yeah, so it works for this second, but what's gonna keep it working? Going to the studio, I, I went to a, a trade school to learn how to be a recording engineer because in my mind, being an introvert that I am, I would get to turn those dials and knobs and not have to engage with human beings, just get the signal from one place to the other. In that job, I learned it's all about the human beings. The dials and knobs are, are, are just table stakes. So that person on the other side of that glass in that sterile environment, my job was to get the very best out of them so we could put it on that recording medium. Again, not knowing at the time. My job right now today is to create an environment where amazingly brilliant people can do amazing things. They are literally creating the future for our nation and the world. On the back of my business card, it says, reach for new heights to reveal the unknown for the benefit of humankind. All that was preparing me for this. So my job is not to be the grand poobah and the center director and come and pay homage. My job is to create that environment so they can be amazing and serve the nation. Talk about the headline for servant leadership right there. Your, your uh, business card says it all. And I may ask you to repeat that later so we can all take it down. But you use that phrase, servant leader. And on High Tech Sunday, of course, uh, one of the things that we do touch upon is how your spirituality has played a role in informing your path. And I, I see that uh, there are a few statements that may um, have special meaning to you. So let's talk about those. One of them is feed your fear or feed your faith. What, what does that mean to you? So, so that was something that my uncle shared with me. And, and sometimes when you're facing challenges or even opportunities, and I'll share an opportunity where the fear or the doubt creeps in, right? And so I see it as the enemy. I see it now. I, you know, I didn't have that wisdom in the past, but I see it as the enemy trying to take you off the path that's for you. So you can either feed that by buying into that doubt or feed your faith that even the challenges are preparing you for opportunities. So <clears throat> as my career was progressing, and again, there was no grand plan, and I was chief engineer and director of engineering, and I was invited to join the office of director, the associate director, I, I was, you know, that, that doubt start, why me and am I up to this and what can I do? And it was during the time just before Lent and our pastor said, you know, you know, we're coming into the Lenten season and as you go forward, yes, you can give up chocolate or your favorite TV show or something, but find something that has meaning to you. So that struck me and I sat there and I said, I'm going to let go of my understanding. I know the wow. next step. He's got the rest. And it was in that moment where I, it, it all just kind of drifted away. So that servant leadership, he put the joy in my heart. Now I have to deal with budgets, hiring, all those things. That's happiness and sadness. He put that joy in my heart. He allowed me to work at a place that is truly amazing. And, and I mean, I would do this for free if I didn't have to do mortgages and car payments and housing and all that, <laughs> right? I would do it for free. And most of the people there can make more money elsewhere, but it's 
reach for new heights, to reveal the unknown for the benefit of humankind. What purpose? Filled with that joy, that what was put in me by God and that feeding your faith, everybody should feel that way. Imagine a world where everybody has found that and they're doing the thing that they love, not because they're going to get three extra dollars or they're going to get something or they're going to be famous, but you're going to make somebody else's life better. Giving up that understanding. And it was like just that instant in time that I was to hear that at that moment because the message wouldn't have been received earlier. And it may have been too late later because I would have gotten stuck in my own baggage. But when I received that message, it was just uplifting to me. And there's no challenge right now. There's all kinds of things going on throughout my career, but the joy never goes away because I get a chance to change lives. I'll share that my first day as center director, my very first day, I spent with three-year-olds and four-year-olds, three-year-olds and four-year-olds. With the four-year-olds, we made the solar system. I was a sun. They were the planets. We spun, we revolved, we laughed, we joked, and then we talked about it. They told me the closest planet to the sun, the farthest away, the largest, the hottest, and no, it's not Mercury. And they told me that, not because I wrote it on the board and told them to memorize it, because we experienced it. And then I went to a classroom of three-year-olds, and I talked to them about aerospace, gravity, thermodynamics, and coding. Three-year-olds. I held a ball up. I dropped it. And I said, why did the ball fall? And a three-year-old, she said, because it's not a balloon. And she told me why a balloon went up. I get chills right now thinking, what is she going to do when we fill her with the eye cans? What are the amazing things she's going to solve that we can't imagine right now? How can you not be joyful and excited to be in a place where you get to do that? I'm telling you, you you just gotten all of us excited about uh, the future of that young girl. When you think about filling the world with I cans, we're going to jump into that in just a moment. But uh, I want to back up to something else that you uh, mentioned, and this whole idea of joy. Uh, you said that I would do what I do for free if I didn't have responsibilities, and and. Uh, I think that there's a, what is the saying, that if you find a job that you love, you'll never have to work another day in your life, something like that. And so mm -hmm. that came to mind when you just said that. Uh, but uh, certainly you've, you've touched upon uh, how your spirituality, how your relationship with God uh, has influenced your work. Uh, but what is it that after all these years keeps you excited to come in every day and do what you're doing? And it's, of course, is that joy, right? So I've had opportunities to do things I couldn't even imagine. I can tell you about the first design I did as a hotshot engineer fresh out of college. It was a little circuit board about that big, right? And its purpose was to align a laser system that was gonna go in the shuttle bay and we we're gonna do some atmospheric science work. So I literally got to build something right out of college that flew in space. And just the opportunity to do that. And I can tell you about opportunity after opportunity where I've gotten to do something I couldn't imagine. Going down to see the shuttle when we were flying shuttles and walking out over the gantry, over the wing and seeing the flag and the shuttle, it, it, brought me to tears because we get to do amazing 
reach for new heights, to reveal the unknown for the benefit of humankind. That's the thing that supersedes the budget got cut, the budget, the program got canceled, uh, whatever. We couldn't get the hires. We don't have the diversity and inclusion we want. It just superseded all of that. Now, those are challenges and they're real and we have to work through them. That's what we're here for. That's the path we were put on that we're here, but it can't take away the joy. And I will say that the, the idea of that, the changes we want in the world and that, you know, that love, grace, and mercy that should be instilled in all of us, that's the bright future. That's what we know. All the challenges we, challenges we have in our society today, that love, grace, and mercy should empower us that I'm going to do what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to start with the person I see in the mirror every day. And it's not about accolades. Look how wonderful it is. In my job right now, while I'm serving those people and creating that environment, I'm also serving the people that come after me so they don't have to deal with the challenges I'm dealing with, just like I don't have to deal with the challenges of those that came before me. You, I'm sure you're familiar with the movie Hidden Figures. Imagine their challenge when my only opportunity would have been in the cafeteria, maybe, or in the, you know, whatever job that somebody thought they didn't want to do. But those folks fought through it. They fought through and made a difference so that I can be in this job right now. So that, that's, again, when we talk about joy and that faith, you know, and I, I share sometimes with people, it's not about me. When the George Floyd incident occurred, we, we had a response from the agency. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I'm an introvert, despite this conversation, I'm a pretty extreme introvert. A Saturday morning or Saturday morning or Sunday morning after Saturday night, I woke up about 2 a.m. in the morning. I could not sleep. I came into this room and I had wrote 11 handwritten pages. And I read them and I said, I can't say that. That's too personal. I can't do that. And so, you know, I, I watched, you know, on television because we were doing the television thing. And there was a national minister that had a message. And then I watched from my church, the minister had a message. And the message boiled down, or at least the part that God enabled me to hear, it's not about you. So I sent the message out. The message got overwhelming response across the people at NASA that have known me. I've been there for 30 years now, and I'm in a position where I'm fairly visible. When I shared my experiences, it was hard for people to say, well, why would they do that to Clayton? Because they knew Clayton, right? It opened up a whole conversation and mindset. Again, not just me. But had I not shared it, what would have been missed? It's not changing your mind or you must be one way or the other. But let's open your mind. Let's not assume that when something happens, that person was at fault. Let's open our mind, that love, grace, and mercy. So that's the, you know, when you talk about that joy and that basis for joy, that's where it comes from. Love, grace, and mercy. There, there's another headline right there. I do want to jump into the whole I can's, but there's one more question I got to ask you about. Um, I know that this phrase uh, resonates with you as well. Hard does not equal impossible. What's that all about? Yeah, so I've found in, in my career and the opportunities where I have, have to engage with students and, and even adults that we sometimes artificially equate those two things, right? 
the idea that impossible or hard are the same thing. So I, I share a story that, you know, I was in, in Seattle, Washington, uh, working with a, a company. And in the evening, I was in Washington, D.C., uh, having dinner, right? So I walked to the mall where we had a projection of the Saturn V rocket on the Washington Monument, Monument full scale. So as I was walking back to my hotel room, looked around and there were thousands of people in the mall at about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night in Washington, D.C. in the summer. So I work at a place where people come out to view a projection of an event that happened 50 years ago. Inspiration and excitement. People come out to think about Washington, Seattle, Washington for breakfast, Washington, D.C. for dinner. There was a time when only those crazy daredevils messed with those flying machines. Now we don't give it a second thought. The impossible has become possible. So how does that happen? That's because we understand that hard means just hard work to get there, but it does not mean impossible. Thank you for that. And that is such an important and critically uh, pivotal reminder because I suspect that you would agree that you will not be the I can that you are intended to be if you don't really embrace that truth that hard does not equal impossible. So you want to fill the world with I cans. What does an I can look like? So, so I share the story with the three and four-year-olds. Well, you know, when you see the personality traits, and these are three and four-year-olds, you can see it in them, and it, it's broad. And what happens? So, another part of that same story is that as I go out to these events and talk to students, we had done an event where I, I brought a colleague, and they were dressed up in an astronaut suit. So, some months later, the teachers did a a program where they were recreating some things. And a young lady was told she was going to be the astronaut. And she told the teacher, I can't be an astronaut because I'm a girl. That wasn't 1940 or 1950. That was 2017. Right? 2017. So who put those I can'ts in her head? Can't do anything about those. But man, can we fill them up with some I can'ts and balance it off. I coach rec league football and I use my coach fingers. I pretty much know, hold on to the ball, go left, go right. But on that, in that environment, I get to engage with those young men and it doesn't sound like this and feel like this. I get to talk to them about, we're gonna run this play and take that right angle and, or, or hit this degree or fade out this way. And I get to pop out my app and you see that bright light up there. That's not a star, that's Jupiter. Jupiter is this far away, isn't that? You know, we get to have conversations so I can fill them with I cans. We had people with trouble circumstances. And as coaches, we used to have, you know, pick up and take some of the players home. So one of the players' parents came and he was not in a good situation to be out there on the field. And of course, the young man was embarrassed. And, you know, our head coach, who's been doing this much longer than I have, he talked to the young man and said, you're, you know, you're going to be respectful. And I understand this is hard. That day, I was taking him home. And, and it, you know, it kind of broke my heart. But I could tell him this one thing, it's going to be better. Stay the course. You can do this. Some years later, I went to buy a frosted ice cream in a store. That young man was the clerk in that store, still in high school. He could have chosen to 
I'm going to fall into whatever traps. I'm going to be that, you know, I can't go any higher than this. I'm going to hang out on the corner. He chose to get a job. He chose to make a difference. He accepted the I can, no matter what else was being poured into him. So how can you not be excited by that? So when, when you talk about the traits and the personality, it's in all of us. But do we feed our faith or do we feed our fear? This is all I can be. This is all I can do. I can't do anymore. Or I don't care what else is going on. I can do this. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean you won't stumble. I talk to kids when I go to classroom. And I say, clearly, I was destined to be this and I'm all so important. And then I tell them how I failed the first semester of geometry. And then I tell them how I dropped out of college. And then I went 10 years after my, my graduating class and I'm the center director of a NASA research center. Don't tell me I can't. Show me I can and put in the hard work to make it so. That's amazing. And, and so since this is Sunday, we get to say amen every now and then, director. <laughs> so, uh, so you are talking right. Uh, and the last thing that you noted, I think, is where the rubber meets the road. You said that you got to put in the work. I think that that really is critically important. But, but again, you are the director of this incredibly iconic institution in this country, but it's known around the world. How do you, because when I see fill the world with ICANNs, it makes me wonder, do you believe that ICANNs can be created? And if so, how do you create them at Langley? Yeah, absolutely. So, so one thing is being in the community, be that the local community across the state, the region, the country, and, and sharing that message and showing examples of, you know, that, that you have to see it to be it sometimes and believing that it's possible. Now, not everybody's gonna click into that, but showing that it's possible. And the fact that I'm the center director and I wanna be here, you know, we're gonna talk about algebra, you know, the idea I'm not good at math or I'm not good at science or I'm, no, that probably means maybe you just didn't put your work in. And it doesn't mean you have to be good at it instantly, right? But you put in some work to, to get there for the things you want to do and you're going to find your passion because that's what you're going to excel at. So at NASA Langley, you know, and I talk about myself and my team does the, the same thing. So we travel quite a bit pre-COVID, not as much now because we learned how to do things in different ways. But when you go to a city, especially where there's not a NASA center, find a school, a rotary club, a group, and go out and talk to them about these things, right? Share whatever, take some, you know, brochures, some posters, that poster behind me, I don't know if you can see it very well, I'll, I'll speak to that later, but take some things out and share with students because you don't know what little thing we got. I received a letter about four months ago from a gentleman that thanked me for talking to him and sharing some NASA stuff with him. And I, I was embarrassed to say I did not remember his name, but that wasn't the important part. Whatever I said or did made an impact to him. So he has some I cans in his head. And, and to be clear, it's not about me. We all can do this. I don't care where you are in an organization. Uh, mentorship, I, I can tell you of all the people that helped guide my career, not, I won't say unbeknownst to me, but it was clear, especially as I look back, they were guiding and providing opportunities, not telling you, you should do this. Here's an opportunity. This might be interesting to you, try this. Guiding my career, so I, I work with a, a group, the Patty Grace Foundation, 
It's a former uh, NASA employee where we reach out to uh, college students to give them an executive mentor, but also a peer mentor. So you can't have enough mentorship. You can't have enough formal and informal mentorship. That's what makes a difference. And we all can make a difference. There's not a special job. It's not that you have to be an engineer or scientist. We need accountants. We need lawyers. We need every possible field you can imagine to make the magic that we're talking about. You mentioned just then this importance of mentoring and mentorship is huge uh, and, it, and it can be extremely, extremely invaluable uh, to in, in the topic we're talking about today, the, the I can development. Mm -hmm. I understand that you actually mentor a prodigy, someone who graduated college at the age of 12. Can you introduce us a little bit to her and, and uh, tell us how you got connected and how she's doing today? So when we talk about the hand of God, and, and I have to go here for this, her, her name is Alina Wechter. So I met Alina because a, a couple of people reached out to me and said they heard about this 12-year-old who is graduating college whose dream it was to work at NASA and that I should reach out to her. So uh, after a couple of people reached out to me, my sister-in-law who lives in California, she said the same thing. Hey, we heard a, there's this young lady that has always wanted to work at NASA. Maybe you can reach out and talk to her. Here's the part that is nothing but the hand of God. My sister-in-law who lives in California met this young lady when she was an arm baby. My sister-in-law prayed with her mother over this young lady. She was an arm baby. When my sister-in-law mentioned it, she said, I have her number, call her. That's how I met her. So we made the connection and I actually went to her high school graduation because she is the youngest intern ever at NASA and I wanted to make a point of that. Now here's what really excites me about Elena. She's off the chart, intelligent, genius. What excites me about her is that she is all about what she's gonna do for others. She is lifting up others. She wants to create STEM opportunities. She has a program and I may mess up the name of it, 25 by 25 in seven, where she wants to lift up 25 brown girls in, in, in 25 cities for STEM education. So she does that by creating these partnerships with seven different cities so far, working on 25 to increase STEM education. So the reason she says seven years, because she wants to start in middle school. So when they get ready for college, they're prepared. They're not trying to make that choice at college. This is the 12 year old. She's involved in so many activities where she is writing plans for other cities. That 12 year, she's 13 now. She has decided to transfer from engineering to medical school because she wants to be a flight surgeon. This is the thir now 13 year old. And again, all she wants to do is to lift up others. How can you not be excited by that? It's not about her. She's trying to find out right now at 13 years old, how can she lift up others and provide opportunities and fill them with ICANNs? She's all about servant leadership. So what is she going to do as she moved into the various positions? And the first time we talked, she asked me, when did I decide I wanted to be at NASA? Because I knew she decided when she was four years old. 
I said, no, I was a bit older. I was in my early 30s. So, you know, I, and she kind of laughed and chuckled, but she was so sweet about it. So, yeah, so I didn't get to those heights, but I've had an amazing opportunity. And she has amazing opportunities. Now it's up to us to make amazing opportunities for others. Nothing but the hand of God. Nothing but the hand of God. Nothing but the hand of God. Wow. Uh, as you were talking, when you said that she decided to, uh, she wanted to be with NASA at four, I thought about the three-year-old who explained uh, why the ball dropped. So she's, she's got a year, uh, and then she's going to have to make her NASA stand as well. Um, I know that we're, we're running a little short on this segment, but I did want to ask you, um, it is clearly evident that you are a man of faith as am I. And it is sometimes apparent that folks think that when you are a STEMist, especially a scientist and engineer, uh, it's either religion that you embrace or it's science that you embrace. Can you speak about that intersection and how it is that you kind of have found the, the sweet spot for both? Yeah. So, so I don't see a separation in those two things. So there's no separation for me with God and science. And, and I share with people that I've, I've been in high level training and I met a gentleman from uh, India and he, he was a fairly young in his career, but he was struggling with that, that dynamic of religion and science. And we, we had several long conversations, but I, I will share with you that for me, when we, we talk about this, there is no schism. If you think about the vastness that is the universe, right? And then you think about here on home planet Earth, those things that we fight each other about, those things that we sometimes kill each other about, they are in almost infinite supply in the universe. So love, grace, and mercy. If we get that in our heads and in our souls, if we put the energy in helping others find the thing that you're joyful of, and this planet is functioning the way God has intended us, love, grace, and mercy, we're working together. We now have the ability to access all of those things. All the things that we fight over and struggle over in my territory, in your territory, my house, my pen, my car, my whatever, infinite supply. He has given us everything we need. What he has said is you have free choice. Now, are you going to work together to take everything I've given to you? We just launched the James Webb Space Telescope. It is going to look back 13.5 billion with a B years into the past. We weren't ready to have that look 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago but he has allowed us to grow and learn and inspire each other and excite each other to be able to do things like that so that we can learn. He has put it all there for us. So the same God that enables us to go to the lunar surface to live and work, to go to Mars with humans, to go deeper into our solar system and deeper into our galaxy is the same God that put that ability in us. So, you know, we talked about Alina and being four years old. He needed her to be in her earlier. He needed it to be in me at 32 because 
I wasn't ready. And I'm, I'm telling you I'm not ready. I'm not saying something about I wasn't ready. So he will put it in us. We will mature. We will come together and all these things. So there is no separation. You talk to many scientists, there's no separation. My ability to do things, our ability to have this conversation now virtually, that's all what he's empowered us to do. The fact that we can overcome so many things and so many opportunities. So there is no separation. There's a pastor, not of my church, a colleague that I coach football with. He is in his church and, and he invited me to come over and have the same conversation. That was pre-COVID. We sense have shared so much because he wanted to inspire his earlier congregation and, and the thing that you know my colleague told him I love to do. But he and I have had long conversations because there is no separation. And I'll on occasion send him about this thing we discovered about Jupiter or a planet revolving a distant sun. You know, because it used to be we thought there were nine planets. Now we know there's probably billions of them because there's billions of stars and many of them have planets around them. Everything is out there for us. So there is no separation. I would welcome a conversation with anybody that feels there's a separation because I would want to understand where they feel that separation and share my views. Again, not to change your mind, but to share with them that is no separation. That is God enabled. There is no separation. Now, we as human beings can sometimes use religion to separate and divide and us against them. That's not God. God is love, grace, and mercy, beginning of the book and end of the book, middle of the book, every page of the book, love, grace, and mercy. So if I try to love like God, if I have the I'm given the grace and giving that grace to others. And if I have mercy, and so that means that person that want to scream and yell at me because of the way I look or the job I have, I have to have the grace to listen so I can see if I can find that path. Because the solutions that we're looking for aren't necessarily with two people that agree. They're with two people that disagree. That's where you're going to find that sweet spot. And I firmly believe with that joy inside, that's what God wants us to do. We need each other. We firmly need each other. We just got to figure it out. He gives us free will. We got to figure it out. So there is zero separation in those two things for me. Wow. I, I, um, I pastor a church director, and I pastor the kind of church where we would be standing up clapping and yelling uh, by now, uh, listening, to, listening to all the truth that you just shared, because it really is that simple. You said there is no separation. It is God-enabled. That's a, a mic drop right there. Uh, and so I'm going to let that kind of rest in the, in the atmosphere. Uh, and before I get too excited and forget the time, I'm going to hand it off to uh, our co-host, Lango Dean, to take us into the next section. Hey, Lango, how you doing? Very well, Dr. Vaughn. And there were several mic drop moments with that director, Director Turner. I, you know, I, I could reel them off. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, Director of NASA's Langley Research Center, Clayton Turner. Now, back to the show.
it isn't often as well that we have someone so high up in STEM and we get a, a lot of very successful people in STEM come on the show and they talk about failing geometry or dropping out of college, you know, working as an arcade repair technician and, and music studio engineer. And so it's been really exciting listening to, to the director. Director Turner, I know February is, the, is a busy time for you. Two years ago, right after taking the award in Washington, D.C. at Bayer, you were in Charlotte. I'm looking at a photo of you now where you were in this, uh, it was the convention center, I think, in Charlotte. Yes. And you, you, in animated conversation, obviously talking, inspiring, exciting someone as you're doing, us, as you're doing with us right here. Um, and that same tournament is coming up later this month. So tell us now about um, all the people that you're partnering, partnering with for this event and how you use it as an education day. Uh, absolutely. So for the, the, the last one that we did in person, uh, not only at the tournament, but as I mentioned, going around the schools. So I got to visit seven schools. Uh, now, it was kind of whirlwind and we were moving, but, but, but that was great. So when we talk about when we go to places like CIAA, there is multifold. So we set up an extensive booth with lots of NASA materials so we can talk to individuals. So as people are moving through the arena and we're sharing messages and, and I literally get out there and, and just find a person, be it grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, teenager, kid, whatever. I quickly try to find that piece that interests them. And I talk about that and what they can be. And you'll get, no, I can't do that. I'm not good at math. And I'll give them something or a thing. And you don't have to be an engineer or a scientist or an accountant. There are a wide variety of jobs. And as much as I love NASA, you don't have to just do it at NASA. So that's what we do from our booth. It also gives us an opportunity. I go around and visit the presidents and chancellors of the uh, universities from the CIAA, the HBCUs, and talk to them not only about their students joining us for internships, but partnering with their professors. Because what we want is not one student coming and doing an internship or even 50. What we want is a long-term relationship doing research because that builds the bond so we make those connections across the board. So now it's not just that Clayton's here and Clayton's there, but it's Professor X with researcher at Langley Y and they have a bond and they sent four of their students to work on this or we sent the work to the university to work on this. And now all boats are rising. All of us are lifting. So those are the kind of things we do at those events. We also have large STEM events where we bring in a lot of the students and we talk to them about opportunities. But I personally find that one-on-one -on -one or one-on-small small group because when I'm on a large stage and I will do that, and I can't stress en enough about how much I'm an extreme introvert. So we talk about God enabled, that's how I can talk to you right now. And that's how I can talk to them. But I find in a large stage, I can say those things and I can be excited. But at some level, I'm that really important person that came from on high and came down and spoke to us and disappeared. There's no personal connection. But when I can talk to a student or five students or a parent, I can talk to them. You know, they can talk to me. And yeah, there's, there's nothing magic about me. There's nothing magic about any of us other than what we live to when we find our cans what we live to when we feed our faiths and get on those paths. So that's what we do at CIAA. Now they moved from Charlotte 
at NASA, we kind of divide the country into multi-state regions up to Baltimore. So that's closer to Goddard. So those folks will engage, but we will still have that booth. Now, I may still go there with the center director at Goddard to do that same thing. You know, we, we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I talk to my team, you know, when we're at those events and everywhere we go, our goal should be to recruit 330 million Americans. We should have a plan to do that. And when we fall short, we should look to see how we can get to more. And when I say 330 million, I don't know which parent or grandparent or uncle or auntie that I'm going to talk to or say, I heard this guy from NASA, you should go see from them. Or this guy said, you can work at SpaceX or Boeing or wherever, right? Or which student is going to hold on to the thing like the one that sent me that letter, that that's the thing. Or which student is going to come and do one of our programs on center where, you know, this young lady said she always felt like the outsider because she was interested in science and engineering. She always, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that until she came here and saw others like her. Share with them the, the young lady that came to one of our high school programs and there they stay on a college campus, but they come to work on center. It's a two week program. This young lady, they thought they were going to have to send her home because she was so painfully shy. At the end of the program, she did the commencement. She was able to do it because she saw somebody there who was doing what she wanted to do. Boom, the light came on. She was good to go. She was fired up and ready to go. So that's the kind of thing we do at CIAA. And, and a lot of people don't realize that part of our charter as NASA, yes, we launch rockets and we build airplanes. We do all those things. But we're also charged to inspire the nation and inspire the planet. That is literally in our charter. So that's what we do. That's wonderful. So for someone who's probably never been to CIAA, um, mm -hmm. so College Athletic Conference, and probably not aware that there's even a career fair at this athletic conference. I know you've kind of broken down what NASA does and you know and why you're there, but could you try to tell a parent who isn't aware of this program and this event why they should try to be there or maybe it could probably be online this year because so many things are online and so many people are hiring online as well. Absolutely. So I would encourage to go just for that personal interaction, because as I mentioned, when it's a large group, it's a little hard to make the personal connection. And, and you get into that place, again, feeding the fear that that's for somebody else. I mean, when I interview senior people now, some of them still say, yes. Right. So I love that image. And it is, you see, I have the flag and I didn't put that up for this interview. I put that up two weeks into COVID once we realized this isn't going to be a two week thing. If you cut me open, I bleed those two flags, right? This is how I serve the nation. So how do you convey that to a person so they can then convey it to somebody else? So that's what I would say. Come for those reasons. Get some NASA swag. We have great swag. If I could virtually send it to you, I'd send it all to you. Because, you know, in my mind, and I drive my team crazy, it does no good sitting in a room somewhere. It needs to be out there. Uh, and that's their intent, too. But beyond that, if they can't come to CIAA, Go to nasa.gov, N-A-S-A.gov. When you look on their website, it talks about all our missions and all the things we do in all our centers. But there's also a section for 
pre-K, K through eight, middle school, high school, adults, teachers. We have programs where we literally bring in teachers to fill them up with ICANs so they can go and fill the students up. The only group or entity that I think has a bigger impact on their future than what I believe we do at NASA is our teachers. So man, do we need to be energizing them. They literally have our future in their hands. So NASA.gov, follow us on social media. So not just NASA, but follow Percy. And you're probably wondering who is Percy? The Perseverance rover that is on Mars right now collecting samples tweets out and Instagrams and all those things. Follow him. The JWST is going to tweet out. So when we look back 13.5 billion years into the future, they're probably going to have something to say about that. When we go to Venus, when we go to Mars, when our astronauts are on spaceship, there's an app you can put on your phone where you can see when the station is flying over your house and you can see it. It's a bright light, but you can see it. There's an app you can put on your phone. When you look up into the sky, you can see that's Jupiter, that's Venus, that's the North Star. And you can also look on the other side of the planet. When you go to the NASA.gov site, you do that. And I encourage all parents, fill the, if, if your child is remotely interested in any of this, fill, give them all they want and let them sort out what they're passionate about. And by the way, I need communication specialists and artists too. The, the RIT, as you know, Dr. Vaughn, the blend of art and design is critical. As, as much as I'm doing this right now, as an engineer, we're really not the best at being that creative. I know it when I see it. If, if you get a chance, go and look up a video, Together We Discover and NASA. And you'll see a, like a 50 second video we did. I, I, I told them what I wanted and that's what they made. So there's all kinds of things out there to inspire. And it doesn't just have to be NASA. You know, NASA has 17,000 employees and probably triple that number of on-site contractors, but there's SpaceX, there's Blue Origin, there's Boeing, there's Lockheed Martin. And beyond all those traditionals, there are hundreds of startups that are looking to explore the planet, explore the universe, understand home planet, understand our solar system, our galaxy, our universe. There are opportunities all over the place. But as we said earlier, opportunities are hard. They can be put in front of you, but you got to put in the work. So talk to somebody about putting in the work to get those opportunities. Talk to students that are already in college. Doesn't have to be somebody that has a job because they've already put in some of the work and they're putting in more of the work. So those are just some of the sites. Reach out to, and my team is going to kill me for this, but if you send me an email, I will have my team send you more links because they are significantly more than I've shared that you can share with anybody. Because I said in our charter, it is inspiration and excitement. That picture behind me that you probably can't see, there's a child and an adult and they're looking out of a door and they're in spacesuits. And the background is red. And if you, you can't see it, and I'll have them send you that picture if they don't kill me, uh, there's a yellow vehicle outside. And that yellow vehicle is the classic extraplanetary vehicle, but it has a red stop sign on the side. It's a school bus, right? First day of school on Mars is what it says in the caption. That is our future. Now, you say, well, that's impossible. That's a far away. Somebody thought flying in an airplane, having breakfast in, Was in Seattle, Washington, and dinner in Washington, D.C. was impossible. It's a three-month wagon ride, right? But no, it's not impossible. 
We can do it. We are empowered. We are enabled. We're going to feed our faith and we're going to do amazing. We're going to fill everybody with joy that wants it. And even those that don't want us, our example is going to fill them with joy. That's wonderful. Um, this is my last question before I throw it back to Dr. Vaughn. I know you mentioned that the big goal of NASA is to recruit 330 million Americans, uh, if possible. Um, and, and within within any group, within any large group, there are, of course, subsets, as you know. So what is the importance of access and mentorship, particularly for students at HBCUs? And, and I, I mentioned them because this is Black History Month, and mm -hmm. I probably want to, you know, get you to focus a little on that and that step group. Absolutely. So, so that, that diversity that you're talking about is that diversity of thought. So if, if we had a hundred Clayton Turners and we were sent off to do a job, we might get that job done, but it would not be the best job. What we want is that diversity of thought. I want 330 million Americans because if you told me I needed to be able to see in this room that I'm in, I would build you a lamp and I would wire it up to a power source. But if I told a diverse group that I need to be able to see in this room, what they might do is make it so the walls are transparent during the daytime and they go black during the night so you can see in the room so they're less power intensive. So those are the kind of things we wanna do. So when I reach out to 330 million Americans, it's not just recruiting them, that's important. I don't wanna say, Give me your resume and I'll get back with you in three weeks. I want to tell you how exciting it is to be here doing what I'm doing. And I want you to come and join me. That's what we have to do. That's the part that brings those students in and gets them excited. So when we talk about all the minds and so forth, I'm reaching out to 330. And I also want to get to that person that their model when they get to do a hire. So I talked to about a couple of hires I do so. There's a small level of a number of senior level hires I personally do, but I authorize many, many more. I want that first line supervisor that their tendency is to go back to their university and talk to their professor about a person to fill this job. That's not bad unless that's the only thing you're doing. I also want to reach that person that says, I can't find somebody that can do this. And I want to overwhelm them with the thousands and millions of people that are not only prepared and ready, already doing this, right? So again, there's going to be on the extremes of any situation where I'm never going to change that mindset, but I want to make that the exception, not the rule. So when I say 330 million, it is all about that. So I engage for every position I make our folks engage your network. So putting it on USA Jobs, not even close to sufficient. Do a video to say, not describe the job, but why you want to come here and do this exciting thing. And then send it out to everybody you know and ask everybody they know to send it out. As an example, I sent out one position and a gentleman wrote me back. Now he wasn't right for this job, but I could see in the email string, he had gotten it from a third person that had forwarded it. I didn't know the other people other than the one person I sent it to. That's the power of reaching out. And it also says, I not only want to recruit you, when you get here, I want you to feel part of this team. So not, I have one of these, so let me stick you here and go off in the corner. 
It needs to be inclusive. You need to be part of this team. I not only want you part of this team and doing work, but as an early career, I want to know your fresh ideas. I want you to ask me, why do you do it that way? And I want to be able to explain to you, not because it's the way we've always done it, but this is why. So you can tell me, oh, that makes sense. Or, you know, we tried this. What about that? We, and, and I know we're running out of time, but there's an example of where early career took one of our technologies and it literally is going to save firefighters' lives that are fighting forest fires. Not something I would have thought of because I was mission focused, right? So when we say reaching 330 million, it is all that diversity of thought and experience. All of us have a different set of experiences and it doesn't have to be you traditionally do that. We have a program for community college students because they are gonna be in a mode where they'll decide to go to four-year school or not, but I need those skills. I need technicians. I need all those skills too. And it doesn't have to be traditional. The GPA isn't going to be 4.0. They may have a job and a family. They may have the ability to do 4.0, but they have other responsibilities. So I need those folks to have the opportunity. So that's why it's 330 million. Now, we're going to fall short, but we're going to plan and do things to get to that number. And the more people that are doing that, the more that are reaching out and they feel, not think or read, they feel they want me to be a part of this. Love grace, and mercy. It's all out there for us. Thank you, Director. Love, grace, and mercy. Who knew at NASA? Because you, you normally wouldn't think of NASA in that way, would you? But here you go. I'm always going to look at NASA in a different way now. <laughs> Thank you again. In very interesting right. conversation. Thank you. Over to you, Thank Dr. You so Thanks so much, Lango. And I, I, I'm just wrecked over here. This has been such a great conversation. And, and Director, I know that you've said that you are an extreme introvert. I say the same thing, but I do know that us introverts, when there is something that we are passionate about that energizes us, uh, we become converted uh, to, <laughs> to uh, really being engaged. And that's exactly what we've uh, enjoyed from you. Uh, we are just about out of time, but I have to mention this, and I know that it had to be really cool for you. Uh, you undoubtedly, well, I know you have received uh, numerous prestigious awards and accolades during your distinguished career, and you're not done yet. But in 2020, you were the recipient of the Bay of Career Achievement in Government Award. And I'd really like at some point uh, to, to hear uh, how that experience was for you, learning about that and then actually receiving it. But I, I want to spend the last few minutes that we have just asking you if you would leave our listeners uh, with a message. What, what would that word be? I think about it. We've been on the elevator with you, and now we're taking the ride back down before we all exit. What would you say as we close? So, and, and I'm sorry if I can't boil it down succinctly, but there is a find your passion. Put in the work to find your passion. And it, it can start at any point in life. If, if you're in high school and middle school, go where people are doing that thing and understand your passion. You may not know it yet, but that's okay. So it, it all goes to the theme of this talk, the I cans, right? So find or take in the I cans. The I can'ts will be out there aplenty. Take in the I cans. 
and find those sources of I can. If you go to a place to engage in something and you're not feeling I can's, that might not be the place for you. That just might not be the place. You want to be in an environment where that's happening. So take in those I can's, believe those I can's, believe that the path is for you and be ready to put in the work because it's not clear cut. It's not straightforward. It's not easy, but it is absolutely doable. And it is so overwhelmingly rewarding. And, and for me, the most rewarding part is to be able to use the gifts that have been given to me or to anybody to lift up others. And again, it is not about, oh, let's celebrate Clayton. It is not about me. It is about what God has gifted us to lift up others. That is such a great message to end on. Uh, Clayton Turner, director of NASA Langley. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you. All right, Brandon, we're going to hand it back over to you to see us out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.